Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is the LA School Show. Sorry, we had we had a little bump in the works there. I yeah. don't know what happened exactly, but we tuned in, but we couldn't really tell whether. No, we, we couldn't were tell if we were on or off, and it was kind of a. And I had to hang up in order to get back. It didn't make much sense. So if we were on and you just. <laughs> A blip there, it's because we didn't know whether we were on or not. We had no idea if we were on or off. We had to uh, make sure that we were on. And it didn't play our forward music, and there was no sound, and it was really kind of weird. But anyway, things have been moving forward for the Trump camp, camp, wouldn't you say? They appear to be. uh, He fired uh, Chris Christie, which, you know, if he didn't do what he was supposed to, I think that's a good thing. At least he doesn't keep people who aren't following his plan. Yeah. He's not afraid to do that, you know. And I think that's I think that's a good sign. Yeah. He must obviously have a vision of what he wants. Yeah, Larry sent this over to me today, and I uh, with it with his uh, news, and uh, I thought it was really oh, fascinating. Larry Dorman from yeah, Council Four, yeah, our Larry public affairs coordinator me. from AFSME. Yes, yes, that guy. Yeah, good. Well, I just want the folks at home to know that's who you're talking about. That guy, yeah, Larry. So, anyway, the the interesting thing about this article is that it was about, uh, it was written by a working class law professor, 
okay, uh, published in the Harvard Business Review. It identifies the men and women of the working class in America who elected Donald Trump as president. This was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So what did she have to say? Well, I thought it was very good. It's a kind of a long one, but it's a good, it's it's an interesting read, and mm-hmm. I thought we could both share the reading on this because it's it's worth it's worth people uh, who are running around wondering what who why the, he got elected and why he got elected, and it's about what so many people don't get about the U.S. working class. It's by uh, Joan C. Williams. Mm-hmm. And she wrote this on the 10th of November. My my father-in-law grew up eating blood soup. He hated it, whether because of the taste or the humiliation, I never knew. His alcoholic father regularly drank up the family wage, and the family was often short on food money. They were evicted from apartment after apartment. He dropped out of school in eighth grade to help support the family. Eventually, he got a good steady job he truly hated as an inspector in a factory that made those machines that measure humidity levels in museums. He tried to open several businesses on the side, but none worked, so he kept that job for 38 years. He rose from poverty to middle-class life, the car, the house, two kids in Catholic school, the wife who worked only part-time. He worked incessantly. He had two jobs in addition to his full-time position one doing yard work for a local magnet and another hauling trash to the dump. Throughout the 1950s and the 1960s, he read the Wall Street Journal and voted Republican. He was a man before his time, a blue-collar white man who thought the union was a bunch of jokers who took your money and never gave you anything in return. Starting in 1970, many blue-collar whites followed his example. This week, their candidate won the presidency. For months, the only thing that surprised me about Donald Trump is my friend's astonishment at his success. What's driving it is the class culture gap. One little known element of the gap is that white working class represents professionals but admires the rich. Resents. Oh, pardon me, resents professionals but admires the rich. Class migrants, white-collar professionals born to blue-collar families, report that professional people were generally suspect and that managers are college kids who don't know shit about how to do anything but are full of ideas about how I have to do my job, said Alfred Lombrano in Lumbo. Barbara Enrich recalled in 1990 that her blue-collar dad could not say the word doctor without the virtual prefix quack. Lawyers were shysters and professors were without exception phonies. Annette LaRoe found tremendous resentment against teachers who are perceived as condescending and unhelpful. Michelle Lamont in The Dignity of Working Men also found resentment of professionals, but not the rich. I can't knock anyone for succeeding, a laborer told her. There's a lot of people out there who are wealthy, and I'm sure they worked down hard for every cent they had, chimed in a receiving clerk. Why the difference? For one thing, most blue-collar workers have little direct contact with the rich outside of lifestyles of the rich and famous. But professionals order them around every day. The dream is to not become upper middle class with its different food, family and friendship patterns, the dream to live in your own class milieu 
where you feel comfortable just with more money. The main thing is to be independent and give your own orders and not have to take them from anybody else, a machine operator told Lamont. Owning one's own business, that's the cold. That's another part of Trump's appeal. Hillary Clinton, by contrast, epitomizes the dorky arrogance and smugness of the professional elite. The dorkiness, the pantsuits. The arrogance, the email server. The smugness, the basket of deplorables. Worse, her mere presence rubs it in that even women from her class can treat working class men with disrespect. Look at how she condescends to Trump as unfit to hold the office of the presidency and dismisses his support as racist, sexist, homophobic, and xenophobic. I meant to say his supporters as those things. Trump's blunt talk taps into another blue-collar value, a straight talk. Directness is a working-class norm, notes Lubrano. Uh, as one blue-collar guy told him, if you have a problem with me, come talk to me. If you have a way you want, uh, if you have a way you want something done, come talk to me. I don't like people who play these two-faced games. Straight talk is is seen as requiring manly courage, not being a total wuss and a wimp. An electronics technician told Lamont, of course, Trump's appeal, Clinton's clunky admission that she t- talks one way in public and another in private, further proof she's a two-faced phony. Mm-hmm. Well, manly, dig- manly dignity is a big deal for working-class men, and they're not feeling they they have it. Uh, Trump's uh, purpose, Trump rather, promises a uh, world free of political correctness and a return to an earlier era when men were men and women knew their place. It's comfort food for high school educated guys who could have been my father-in-law if they had been born 30 years earlier. Today they feel like losers, or did until they met Trump. Man, manly dignity is a big deal for most men. So a breadwinner status, many still mis- So is breadwinner status. So is breadwinner status. Many still measure masculinity by the size of a paycheck. While white working class men's wage jizz hit the skids in the 1970s and took another body blow during the Great Recession. Look, I wish manliness worked differently, but most men, like most women, seek to fulfill the ideals they grew up with. For many blue collar men, all they're asking for is a basic human dignity, male varietal, and uh, Trump promises to deliver it. The Democrats' solution. Last week, the New York Times published an article advising men with high school educations to take pink-collar jobs. Talk about insensitivity. Elite men, you will notice, are not flooding into traditionally feminine work. To recommend that for white working-class men just fuels class anger. Isn't what happened to Clinton unfair? Of course it is. It is unfair that she wasn't a plausible candidate until she was so overqualified, she was suddenly unqualified due to past mistakes. It is unfair that Clinton is called a nasty woman, while Trump is seen as a real man. It's unfair that Clinton only did so well in the first debate because she wrapped her candidacy in shimmy femininity. When she returned to attack mode, it was the right thing for a presidential candidate to do 
but the wrong thing for a woman to do. The election shows that sexism retains a deeper hold than most imagined. But women don't stand together. The working class, uh, working, white working class women voted for Trump over Clinton by a whopping 28-point margin. That's wow, wow, 62 to 34%. If they'd split 50-50, she would have won. Class trumps gender, and it's... Um, and it's driving American politics. Policymakers of both parties, but particularly Democrats, if they are to regain their majorities, need to remember five major points. Number one, understand that working class means middle class, not poor. The terminology here can be confusing. When progressives talk about the working class, typically they mean the poor. But the poor in the bottom 30% of families are very different from Americans who are literally in the middle. The middle 50% of families whose median income was 64000 in 2008, that is the true middle class, and they call themselves either the middle class or working class. The thing that really gets me is that Democrats try to offer policies, paid sick leave minimum wage, that would help the working class. A friend just wrote me. A few days' paid leave ain't going to support a family. Neither is minimum wage. White working-class men aren't interested in working at McDonald's for $15 an hour instead of $9.50. What they want is what my father-in-law had, steady, stable, full-time jobs that deliver a solid middle-class life to the 75% of Americans who don't have a college degree. Trump promises that. I doubt he'll deliver but at least he understands what they need. Understand working class resentment of the poor. Remember when President Obama sold Obamacare by pointing out that it delivered health care to 20 million people? Just another program that taxed the middle class to help the poor, said the white working class. And in some cases, that's proved true. The poor got health insurance, while some Americans, not just a notch richer, saw their premiums rise. Progressives have lavished attention on the poor for over a century. That, combined with other factors, led to social programs targeting them. Means-tested programs that help the poor but exclude, middle, but exclude the middle may keep costs and tax rates lower, but they are a recipe for class conflict. Example, 28.3% of, of poor families receive child care subsidies, which are logically non-existent for the middle class. So my sister-in-law worked full-time for Head Start, providing free child care for poor woman, women, while earning so little that she almost couldn't pay for her own. She resented this, especially the fact that some of the kids' moms did not work. One arrived late one day to pick up her child carrying shopping bags from Macy's. My sister-in-law was livid. I don't blame her. J.D. Vance's much-heralded hillbilly elegy captures this resentment. Hard-living families, like that of Vance's mother, live alongside settled families, like that of his biological father. Well, the hard-living succumb to despair, drugs, alcohol, or alcohol, settle families keep to the straight and narrow, like my parents-in-law, who owned their home and sent both sons to college. 
To accomplish this, they lived a life of rigorous thrift and self-discipline. Vance's book passes harsh judgment on his hard-living relatives, which is not uncommon among settled families who kept their nose clean through sheer force of will. This is a second source of resentment against the poor. Other books that get this are Hard Living on Clay Street, 1972, and Working Class Heroes, 2003. Understand how class divisions have translated into geography. Uh, the best advice I've seen so far for Democrats is the recommendation that hipsters move to Iowa. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, class conflict now closely tracks the urban-rural divide in a re- huge red plains beneath, between the thin blue coasts. Shockingly, high numbers of working-class men are unemployed or on disability, fueling a wave of disparate deaths in the form of opioid uh, epidemic. Vast rural areas are withering away, leaving trails of pain. When did you hear any American politician talk about that? Well, only Trump, really, but saying never. Um, If you want to connect with white working class voters, place economics at the center. The white working class is just so stupid. This is a quote. The white working class is just so stupid. Don't they realize Republicans just use them every four years and then screw them? I have heard some version of this over and over again, and it's actually a sentiment the white working class agrees with, which is why they rejected the Republican establishment this year. But to them, the Democrats are no better. And both parties have supported free trade deals uh, because of the net positive uh, GDP gains. uh, overlooking the blue-collar workers who lost work as jobs left from Mexico and, and Vietnam. And these are precisely the voters in the crucial swing states of Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania that Democrats have so long ignored. Excuse me. Who, uh, who's stupid? <laughs> One key message is that trade deals are far more expensive uh, than we've treated them because sustained job development and training programs need to be counted as part of their costs. And at a deeper level, both parties need an economic program that can develop middle-class jobs. Republicans have won. Let unleash American business. Democrats, they remain obsessed with cultural issues. I fully understand why transgender bathrooms are important, but I also understand why progressives' obsession with prioritizing cultural issues infuriates many African, uh, I'm sorry, many Americans whose chief concerns are economic. But when blue-collar voters used to be solidly democratic, that's from 1930 to 1970, good jobs were at the core of those progressives' agenda. A modern industrial policy would follow Germany's path. Want really good scissors? Buy German. Massive funding is needed for community college programs linked with local businesses to train workers for well-paying new economy jobs. Clinton mentioned this approach along with 600,000 other policy suggestions. She did not stress it. Avoid the temptation to write off blue-collar resentment as racism. I thought this was really important. Yeah, I think so. Economic resentment has fueled racial anxiety that, in some Trump supporters, and Trump himself, bleeds into open racism. 
But to write off white um, working, working class. class anger as nothing more than racism is intellectual comfort food, and it's dangerous. National debates about policing, uh, policing are fueling class tensions today in precisely the same way they did in the 1970s when college kids derided policemen as pigs. This is a recipe for class conflict. Being in the police is one of the few good jobs open to Americans without a college education. Police get solid wages, great benefits, and a respected place in their communities. For elites to write them off as racist is a telling example of how, although race and sex-bashed insults are no longer acceptable, based insults are no longer acceptable in polite society. Class-based insults still are. Hmm. If I did not defend, if I I do not defend police who kill citizens for selling cigarettes, but the current demonization of the police underestimates the difficulty of ending police violence against communities of color. Police need to make split-second decisions in life-threatening situations. I don't. If I had to, I might make some poor decisions, too. Saying this is so unpopular that I risk making myself a pariah among my friends on the left coast. But the biggest risk today for me and other Americans is continued class cluelessness. If we don't take steps to bridge the class culture gap when Trump proves I'm able to bring steel back to Youngstown, Ohio, the consequences could turn dangerous. In 2010, while on a book tour, for reshaping the work-family debate, I gave a talk about all of this at the Harvard Kennedy School. The woman who ran the speaker series, a major Democrat operative, liked my talk. You are saying exactly what the Democrats need to hear, she mused, and they'll never listen. I hope now they will. This is Joan C. Williams, Distinguished Professor of Law and Founding Director of the Center of Work Life Law at the University of California, Hastings College of Law. That was a pretty good article, right? Yeah, I, I have to agree with her. Yeah, she she's yeah. She hit the nail on the head there, I think. Really. Yep, it's the economy, stupid. Yep. Uh, oh yeah. That's what it is. Yep. I like the the smug style in American liberalism. It says the. Uh, it says um, another one is uh, the new theory of why Trump voters are so angry. That actually makes sense. Well, you want to check back and see if anybody's trying to call. Please. Oh, gee, that's a good idea. I'm sorry about that. Sorry, folks. No, nope. just want to make no, sure. No, no. Just check periodically. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I should do that more often. I mm-hmm. I, I get out of doing that. To get out of the habit. Yeah, checking back. And, and uh, we I lost didn't a until couple of we had a call last week. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway. Uh, where, where am I here? Oh. Um, this goes along with it. This is one of my pet peeves, too. Smug style in American uh, liberals. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm smug, but I, I tell you. I wasn't. I was a defender of liberalism. My book was defender. Lila and I fought 
fought for for liberal thought uh, thinking for 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 years, but unfortunately, the progressive thinking took over that movement and turned into sludge. So uh, you know, it has to become. Yeah, you have to bring it back to to making sense. You know, and uh, I think I think that's that was probably you know. Nobody can stand American liberals anymore. I mean, the the, the progressives, you know, because they're so full of Yeah, God. There is a smug style in American liberalism. It has been growing these past decades, and it is a way of conducting politics predicated on the belief that the American life is not divided by moral difference or policy divergence. Not really, but by the failure of half the country to know that what's good for them. In 2016, the smug style has found expression in media and in policy and the attitudes of liberals, both visible and private, providing a fundamental set of assumptions above which a great number of liberals comport their understanding of the world. I wonder if we're we're guilty of this too, but I don't know. It has led an American ideology uh, hitherto responsible for a great share of the good accomplished over the past century of our political life to a posture of reaction and disrespect, a condescending defensive sneer toward any person or movement outside of its uh, consensus, uh, dressed up as a monopoly on reason. The smug style is a cycle. psychological reaction to a profound shift in American political demography. Beginning in the middle of the 20th century, the working working class, once the core of the coalition, began abandoning the Democratic Party. In 1948, in the immediate wake of Franklin Roosevelt, 66% of manual laborers voted for Democrats along with 60% of farmers. In 1964, it was 55% of working class voters. By 1980, it was 35%. The white working class in particular saw an even sharper decline. Despite historic advantages with both poor and middle class white voters, by 2012, Democrats possessed only a two-point advantage among poor white voters. Among white voters making between 30,000 and 70,000 per year, the GOP had taken a 17-point lead. Hmm. Finding comfort in the notion that their former allies were disdainful, hapless groups, smug liberals created a culture animated by that contempt. That's true. Well, that's why, that's why she said they were all deplorables. That's the attitude that... Uh, and Jim Webb, who you know, who, who was one of the first to run for president as a Democrat there. Yeah, and he had a good campaign. I thought yeah, that I they couldn't pay him. any attention. I, I to supported him. him, and then he he said the whole thing was rigged for Hillary, and he and he got out, and uh, not to waste any more time. Um, or but, money. Or money, you know. And he said that he felt that from what he's known, and he was a Democrat senator in Virginia. But he said he felt the Democrat, he felt that the white working class people felt that the Democrats didn't like them, okay, and didn't didn't care about them at all. 
I think that's true. Well, it became so smug. You know what, what it was is that I've, I, it, it became, they came, they kind of became uh, crossed with the white, with the blue collar Republicans, all right, uh-huh. and and kind of, um, and then they started voting in the for the Republicans. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what happened. They started voting for the Republicans instead of voting Democratic because the Democrats no longer had their backs, you know, and. Uh, well, she didn't even campaign. She didn't campaign, and she was depending on teachers' unions and, you know, to, and to those, carry And it. the members and of those unions didn't vote for her. And they didn't want her. They, no. wanted, they preferred Trump. You know, or, or anybody, or anybody else, else but her. They thought she was crooked. And minority voters remained, but we rifted the, of the material and, and social capital required to dominate the decision they were largely excluded from an agenda driven by the new democratic core, the educated, the coastal, and the professional. It is not that these forces captured the party so much as it felt as it fell to them. When the laborers left, they remained. The origin of this shift are, de- are overdetermined. Richard Nixon bears a large part of the blame, but so does Bill Clinton. The Southern strategy, yes, but the destruction of labor unions, too. I have my own sympathies, but I do not propose to adjudicate that question here. Suffice it to say, by the 1990s, the bitter part of the working class wanted, the better part, rather, the working class wanted nothing to do with the word liberal. But, that's, see what I mean? And what remained of the American progressive elite was left to puzzle. What happened to our coalition? Why did they abandon us? What's the matter with Kansas? Well, the smug style arose to answer those questions. It prov- provided an answer so simple and so emotionally satisfying that its success was uh, perhaps inevitable. The theory that conservatism, and particularly the kind embraced by those out there in the country, was not a political ideology at all. But that's what we were fighting like. We yeah. fought that for, for, for the, our, the our entire 15, that, 16 that years. The stupid hicks don't know what's good for them. They're getting conned by right-wingers and tent revivalists until they believe all the lies they've been made them so wrong. They don't know any better. That's why they're voting against their own self-interest. As anybody who's gone through a particularly nasty breakup knows, disdain cultivated in the aftermath of a divide quickly exceeds the original grievance. You lose somebody, you blame them. Soon the blame is revealed enough to keep them at a distance the excuse to drive them even further away. Finding comfort in the notion that their former allies were disdainful, hapless rubes, smug liberals, created a culture inundated by that contempt. The result is a, the result is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. Financial incentive compounded this tendency. There is money, after all, in reassuring the bitter. Over 20 years, as industry arose to cater to the smug style, it began in humor and culminated for a time in The Daily Show, a program that more than any other thing advanced the idea that liberal orthodoxy was a kind of educated savvy that its opponents were before anything else. Stupid. The smug liberal found relief in ridiculing them. The Internet only made it worse. 
Today, a liberal who finds himself troubled by the currents of contemporary political life need to look no further than his Facebook news feed to find the explanation. Study finds daily show viewers more informed than viewers of Fox News. They're beating CNN watches, too. NPR listeners are best informed of all. He likes that. You're better off watching nothing than watching Fox. He likes that even more. The good news doesn't stop. Liberals are just better informed. They're smarter. They've got better grammar. They know more words. Smart kids grow up to be liberals, while conservatives reason like drunks. Liberals are better able to process new information. They're less biased like that. They've got better brains. (laughs) Better ones. Why? Evolution. They've got better brains, top-notch amygdala. Amygdala. Amygdala, and science finds. The smug style created a feedback loop. If the trouble with conservatives was ignorance, then the liberal impulse was to correct it. When such corrections failed, well, the stain followed after that. Of course, there is a smug style in every political movement, and leadism among every ideological ideology, rather, believing itself in possession of the solutions to society's ills. Hmm. But few movements have led the smug tendency so corrupt them or make so tenuous its case against its enemies. Conservatives are always a bit of a disadvantage in the theater of mass democracy. The conservative editorialist Kevin Williamson wrote in National Review last October, because people en masse aren't very bright or sophisticated, and they're vulnerable to cheap, hysterical, emotional appeals. The smug style thinks Williamson is wrong, of course, but not in principle. It's only that he's confused about who the hordes of stupid, hysterical people are voting for. The smug style reads Williamson and says, No, you, elites, real elites, might recognize one another by their superior knowledge. (laughs) The smug recognizes one another by their mutual knowing. Knowing, for example, that the founding fathers were all secular deists. Knowing that you're actually like 30 times more likely to shoot yourself than an intruder. Knowing that those fools out in Kansas are voting against their own self-interest. And that the trouble is Kansas doesn't know any better. Knowing all the jokes that signal this knowledge. The studies about Daily Show viewers and better size amygdala are knowing it is the smug style's first premise, a politics defined by a command of the correct facts and signaled by an allegiance to the correct culture, a, poli- a politics that is just the politics of smart people in command of good facts, a politics that insists it has no ideology at all, only facts, no moral convictions, only charts the kind that keep them from imposing their morals like the bad guys do. Knowing is the shibolus in the smug cultures, in the smug styles culture, a culture that celebrates hip commitments and valorizes hip tastes, that loves nothing more than hate reading anyone who doesn't get them, a culture that has come to replace politics itself. The knowing know that the police reform, the abortion rights, the labor unions are important, but go no further. 
What is important, after all, is to signal that you know these things. What is important is to launch links in mockery, in mockery at those who don't. The good facts are enough. Anybody who fails to capitulate to them is part of the problem. It's terminally uncool. No persuasion, only retweets. Eyes rolled, crying emoji <laughs> forward to John Oliver for sick burns. The smug style has always existed in American liberalism, but it wasn't always so total, total, totalizing. Uh, Lionel Trilling claimed as far back as 1950 that liberalism is not only the dominant, but even the sole intellectual tradition that the conservative impulse and the reactionary impulse do not express themselves in ideas, but only in actions or in irritable mental gestures which seek to resemble ideas. Well, this is certainly a long article, yeah. Yeah, this is a little longer than the one I... This is, this is something I haven't read. But the smoke style has always existed in American liberalism, but it, always, it wasn't always so. And... Uh, so anyway, they're, they're just saying that this is the rise and fall of liberalism. But how, you know, working-class people were liberals, you know what I mean? They were. You know, they were the people that were socialists, you know. And, uh, but that all changed. You know, that all changed with, with this smugness. And, uh, yeah. I think it's understanding the, 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 that, that uh, anger. It's absolutely racist to think that black people don't work as hard as white people. So what? <laughs> uh, the theory of why Trump voters are so angry. That actually makes sense. Mm hmm. Uh, Washington Post does it. But I'll just, quickly, I'll just quickly read this thing. Regardless of who wins an election on election day, we'll spend the rest of the time, uh, a few years, trying to unpack what the heck just happened. We know that Donald Trump voters are angry, and we know that they are fed up. By now, there have been so many attempts to explain Trumpism that the genre has become a target of parody. So, uh, it's pretty long. But, uh, you know, they're sick of us. Of what, you know, they're sick of, they're sick of liberals. But, mm -hmm. but you know, I don't blame them. No. Because we could, we, but we were so obnoxious because we had to be. You know what I mean? Because they were so obnoxious to us, you remember? Uh -huh. And they still are. I mean, they're still coming at us like, uh, like, you know, because this is, my book was uh, Negative Mike: The Survival of Olivia in a Time of Peril, and Lila, Lila invented that, that one. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, I, I thought this was interesting, and we should probably note this. Uh, Trump says. Uh, no salary, no vacations. Donald Trump wants to be the lowest paid employee in America. Huh. What do you think of that? Well, good. Don't you think so? Well, well at least he's not collecting a salary that, like normal people do. No, he's just taking advantage he's of taking, the Yeah, he's making billions, trillions. But, anyway, President-elect Donald Trump reiterated a promise he made in September of the last year to totally 
give up accepting the $400,000 annual presidential salary. Uh, speaking to Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes, he did add that he would take $1 a year if he had to. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that he would, uh, let me see if we can have him saying it. I'm totally self-funding my campaign. I won't take money other than the small stuff because people are invested, and I like that when they invest in the campaign, but I don't take the big dollars. As far as the salary is concerned, I won't take even $1. I am totally giving up my salary if I become president. That was Donald Trump. Was it? Okay. What did he? Oh, yeah, that was
aides have said he would also express interest in continuing to hold the large rallies that were sta- staple, sap- staple of his candidacy. He likes the instant gratification and adulation that the cheering crowds provide, and his uh, his aides are discussing how they might accommodate his demands. I think that's cool. What do you think? Huh? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. Trump should put uh, Soros in prison. He's trying to trying to cause all these problems. Just amazing. Um, you know, he's he's charging the riots and uh, you know the, everything uh, against Trump. Mm. He's paying him upwards of fifteen hundred dollars a week to to you know, to go out and, and to and do stuff. They must be desperate to take the money. Well, not just that. There's always idiots out there. They style and call them useful idiots. They will be protesters. Well, they're we work with the phone is because 
because this way we don't usually get disconnected mm. unless the phone is disconnected, but in this case it's not. But had we been uh, just hooked up to the radio, to the, to the computer, it would have it been. It yeah. been. We would have been disconnected. So uh, I'm going to go back here. Uh-huh. Uh, Maybe different things are being targeted on the Internet. Some things, yeah, or, or even our own. Oh, I thought, I thought this was funny. Uh, a lib economist makes dire market prediction after Trump wins and then gets shut down. Uh, Paul Krugman, okay, yeah. New York Times economist and all that, predict, you know, da di da di da da predicted everything wrong. Hmm. Right? Totally, totally predicted. I think he was trying to scare people into voting for Hillary. Probably. But on the night of President-elect Donald Trump's historic victory, the stock market plunged, and liberal economist Paul Krugman predicted on Wednesday that it would never recover. But, However, Krugman was proven massively wrong in less than a day as the Dow Jones Industrial Average surged to an all-time high shortly before the closing bell, huh. according to the Daily Caller. It really does not... Uh, it really... Doesn't look... Now, look like Donald J. Trump and markets are plunging. What we might expect them, when might we expect them to recover? Krugman wrote over Thursday morning. Wednesday. A Wednesday morning. If the question is when markets will recover, the first pass answer is never. Well, (laughs) we are probably looking at a global recession with no end in sight, he added. I suppose we could get lucky somehow, but on economics as one on everything else, a terrible thing that's just happened. Never came much earlier than Klugman predicted, as just nine hours later the market had recovered from its temporary drop and was even doing better than usual. Instead of dropping by 10% or more, as some predicted, the Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P 500 all rose by more than 1%. In fact, the Dow finished the day by about 257 points overall and went on a, to end the week up by more than 850 points. Mm. That's amazing. You would think that an experienced economist would know better than to make a knee-jerk prediction. But then again, this is the same guy who writes opinion pieces for the New York Times. So what can you really expect? That's right. The stock market fluctuates with any major change in the political and economic world, particularly a presidential election. For example, last summer's Brexit referendum in, in United Oh, they they uh, implied that uh, Britain was going to fall apart. Oh, yeah. Referendum in, in the United Kingdom sent British markets plunging too. However, they recommended and they recovered rather and surged to new highs within a week, unlike the economic devastation the experts had predicted. And if we have learned anything during uh, this presidential election is that we shouldn't give much weight to the opinions and predictions of experts. The same folks who were certain that Democrat Hillary Clinton would defeat Trump in a landslide. There you go, folks. They also said that Iceland would be destroyed if they left the common... Oh, yeah, yeah, they thrived. And they Uh they jailed all their bankers and, you know... Oh, yeah. Oh, what, Texas going to succeed or what? (laughs) (laughs) This is interesting, too. Uh, they they think they're going to put Sarah Palin in as Secretary of the Interior. Uh, mm. there's, uh, I don't think so much of her. 
I guess, I don't know if Texas is going to secede. Who knows? Now that Trump wins. They, they're always talking about seceding. Well, liberal America was mourning defeated Democrat President Trump, Hillary. Oh, can cooperate fully with uh, Trump. A new administration takes the other ensued a statement, and officials say that his state was prepared to cooperate fully with Trump's administration. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Oh, yeah. I think that's good. He should do that. That's probably when he said that. That's probably why he's thinking of giving uh, uh, Ted Cruz from Texas, you know, a position. Even though he, I mean, how how can you legitimately put put a guy in as 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 a you know put him in as the attorney general? Yeah. When you when you when you campaigned against him as lying Ted. You know what I mean? Right? Hmm? I mean, hmm. lying Ted, Lila. I know. He's going to be the attorney general? No, that's, that's... I I found it a difficult thought. I don't uh, believe it, yeah. Who knows whether that's really true. Yeah, and Donald Trump said only he knows what he's going to do. That's right. Nobody else does. He hasn't no, talked yeah. about it with anybody. That's true. So people are just guessing, you know? Yeah. Well, an ending note, or... Our, uh, one of my favorite songwriters and song was Leon Russell. He died at 74 uh, just a couple of days ago. Wow. Pretty sad. Yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah, some great, good great, music. Great songwriter, yeah. Very I love that song. Okay. Well, I guess we're at the end of our show. But I wanted to say, no no kidding, John Kerry agrees to bring 1,800 new refugees from Syria to the U.S. from prisons in Austria. Imagine that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. He says, come on, folks. Not vetted, you're not, you know, nothing. You're in prison in Austria. We'll take you. Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll take you. Well, folks, huh. we'll see what the week brings. Scary. And I'm not sure how much of this show got broadcast. But. Well, quite a bit of it. Most of it, I guess. That first five minutes, we might have missed. So. But that's okay. But uh, we're going to leave you. We're going to thank you. And, uh, oh, what's this? Somebody called here. Hang on. Hey, uh, caller? Hello? 567. Hey, uh, hello? Caller? Yeah, hello. who's calling? Yeah, John yeah, Brown. Oh, oh hi, John. John, I didn't recognize your number. Hello? Yeah, how's it going, Leo? Hey, uh, well, I'm going to turn off my sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I didn't think you spotted the um, the light flashing on your mode there. I was in yeah, the, yeah, uh, the, the queue, in the, I mean, the host queue. Yeah, you just came in. So, yeah, we had a little bit of trouble with the sound, apparently. And this, and this after, and uh, trying to get on for some reason, it, uh, it trying to get on tonight, it wasn't it wasn't connecting properly. I, I don't know why. So we don't even know if the show actually was fully broadcast. Uh, the first. Well, it, it's. Coming in pretty clear here. The, 
the visual thing looks. Um, it might be my computer. It looks a little dark, but uh, the audio is fine. Oh, so, good. Uh, oh, well, that's good news. Yeah. yeah. Did you? Hey, did Go ahead. I, I didn't get the beginning. I had to work real late this evening. But I, I just one story. I don't know if you guys touched on it, about these sanctuary cities. There's oh, like 300 no, of them around the country. And yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, Kathy uh, had shown me a video, or no, uh, sorry, I guess it's a picture on the map, and it's unbelievable. It's like, you know, the whole country is being like balkanized. Uh, these are, these are whole regions of illegal aliens is the right oh, yeah. word. We won't use Hillary Clinton's term, undocumented. They're illegal. The word legal means you're legal. If your car is illegal, it gets towed. That's true. You know? That's true. And like well, I was saying to you the other day, it, it's pretty sad that people in this country can be, uh, you can be taken and arrested. And I've seen people who have no fishing license, but they can't yeah, right. arrest these people down in New Haven in the sanctuary city. They give them a license and, you know, and, and everything they need, I guess. Just stay here, and then you just read the story about the prisoners in Austria. Yeah, they're just giving them up. Yeah, they're 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 bringing them into the United States with Kerry. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever read that book by Pat Buchanan. It was called The Death of the West. I think all this no, stuff was talked about. That that might be a book to uh, you know to read sure, a chapter out sure. of sometime on your show. Sure, sure. Uh, that, what's yeah. it called? The Death of the West. The, with Death of the West. It's probably about, oh, it's over 10, 15 years old now. Well, maybe oh, a little less than that. Absolutely. But um, a lot of very interesting information. You know, he almost, he said in the book, basically, in 20 years, you won't know this country. I guess he's an insider oh, and knew what he was planning. Probably, that's probably when he was running for president there in the 90s. Um, it could be around that time. Yeah, I can't remember. I know, Somebody he, mentioned. He went on the Reform Party. And he, he, uh, that's when, uh, well, actually, wait a minute, was it, I think it was in 2000. Yeah, it, it could be as it, old as that, yeah. But the book is still very relevant and you know, oh, what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah, he was he was a big advocate on uh, on uh, uh, immigration, yeah, and the problems that, right. that, that were happening. That's what that Reform Party was, was kind of about, you know. But, hey, um, another thing I, I know the show is coming here at the end. Uh, I met Andy, our, our friend Andy. He's a friend of yeah, Leo's yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, mine for the listeners there, just to let them know. And, you know, he has done a lot of reading and trying to educate people on, you know, how the Constitution protects people. And a lot of people have uh, probably in the last, well, since the Sandy Hook uh, debacle, let's just call it, um, have wanted the Second Amendment. People can't can't have these semi-automatics because they're killing machines, as they call. Yeah, you know, right. even though the founding fathers knew that they were to protect us from a tyrannical government. And lately, we've been seeing a lot of people suddenly realized, oh my God, I get it now. Now that they see, oh, they see Donald Trump in their eyes as being a dictator or a tyrannical, and suddenly they're realizing, oh, that's why we need the Second Amendment. That could be your way of, you know, <laughs> setting things right. Is it, is it really the light went on in their head. Maybe a hundred years from now there could be a tyrant and we'd have taken the rights away from all the citizens in, in the future if we were to just recklessly it's say... It's so twisted, though, the way they're thinking because it's Donald Trump who wants everybody to keep their guns, you know? Well, he's saying that, but, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know. I mean, gen generally speaking, I think that the United States is a corporation and I think the corporation in general might just have a new um, board uh, chief of staff, if you know what I mean. The, and he's, he's going to basically... He, he, he 
he came in on yep. on on, uh, on uh, with the NRA, and uh, I don't I don't see Trump uh, leaving that. He well, I, I hope I hope he will stick to his word, but you know, generally speaking, they backtrack on a lot of the stuff. So we can probably at least hope we get four more years of uh, you know pe- people to educate hey, people know, in, you in the point Andy of keeping your guns. You can tell Andy that uh, Sarah Palin's still in the running. She's uh, she's uh, being considered for a Secretary of the Interior with Trump. Oh yeah, he he probably has already found out that. I don't know he's pretty up to date with stuff when I meet him. Yeah, I know it came out uh, a couple of days ago, uh, but um, you know he mentioned uh, Sarah Palin as the possible uh, Secretary of Interior because. Uh, you know, she she handled that all that stuff in Alaska, and the oil drilling and all that kind of thing. You know, so be interesting right. to see what he uh, what he has to say about that. What happens there? Yeah, but, it certainly uh, will. It certainly will. But that was really? that was it. I just wanted to call in about the, the it was nice to hear the call. Thank you. Just, uh, the nice. immigration thing. Yeah. yeah. So well, thank you for taking the time, John. We really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. I'm just giving you giving you a radio check, if you know what I mean, just to tell you the audio is good. <laughs> no, that's fine. We appreciate it. And I do I do appreciate the great dinner we had at your house the other night. It was excellent. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, John. Yeah, it was it was Very great nice. to see both of you and have a little lively political discussion. Yeah. It's not only on Blog Talk Radio, it's right in person too with our friends. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So anyway, well, okay. Uh, yeah, I'd like to sign off well. here on the show, and I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, you yeah, tune in to us next, uh, you know, talk with us next week, too, if you will. You know, give, us, give us an update on chemtrails. I've had some interest on that, people ask. Oh, I wanted to tell you, John, guess what? Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Um, yeah. The liberal media, okay, has come up with a new, i got to send this over to you. It, it's got, it came up with a new uh, list of uh, phony sites, you know what I mean? Phony, oh, uh, yes. wrong sites. They're all they're, they're it's bullshit. They're saying that Alex Jones is wrong. They're saying that uh, Brett Bart is wrong. They're saying that anything of conservative uh, is wrong. Okay. And oh right, right. It. Yeah, I think I heard NPR talking about this. I I, I I saw the list. I was like shocked. All right. I was surprised they didn't have mine on there, but uh, but no, they didn't. So. Um, but they, uh, but no, they, uh, they, they, they really, they're coming down. They're trying to purge the internet now. You know, they want. To yeah, purge. right. They, they see that the, the, the revolution of the mind has started. So even if they did purge oh, yeah. the internet, they'll have okay, to purge yeah. the books as well. They can burn the books, so to speak, the online book. But they. Uh, What's doing? They're, they're purging the, uh, the social media. All right. So they're mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to isolate the media, saying that these guys are all bogus. And these guys are all good, you know, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, those guys, they're the best. But, you know. Right. Yeah, they're all owned by the group of gangsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Reuters and Associated Press. These are the guys that you got to believe, which is bullshit, because they're the ones that are lying to you through your teeth, you know. But, exactly. Uh, They'll tell you that those uh, Syri- or Austrian prisoners coming is going to be good for the country. I mean, yeah, they, they, they can twist anything. I know, I've yeah. seen it. Yeah, they're trying to do. They're, they're, it's amazing. But yeah, we'll uh, save that for next week. I'll talk a little bit about purging. Yeah, that. maybe you can read the list. I'll let you read it on air, maybe. Interesting. That's yeah, pretty weird. 
You'll be a, you'll be a, you'll be surprised. It's all our favorite ones. Yeah. Oh, uh, of course. Anything <laughs> with real news must be shut down. Anything, anything, yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah, everything. They like the creative news. But, but anyway, yep. John, we're gonna let you go. So. Uh, okay, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Yeah, you have a good soon. night, Johnny. Yeah. Bye bye now. Okay. We should say good night to the folks who are listening. We yep. appreciate your support. Have a great rest of the week, and good night, folks. Okay. Good night, everybody.